0: Welcome to the how to be awesome at your job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 275 with Mary Abajay. Mary is talking about how you manage your manager that delicate dance of managing up, how it's done with tact and aplomb and savvy. So you'll learn one, a tiny yet powerful thing you can do to differentiate yourself from 99% of employees. Two, key obstacles to managing up. And three, strategies for dealing with difficult bosses. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep275. And while you're at at AwesomeAtYourJob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our cool stuff. One handy resource I'd point you to is the Gold Nugget email list summary. So if you'd like to take notes when you're listening to the show, but your hands are indisposed, we take those notes for you and email them to you each time a new guest episode is released. So you have that text note format for your easy reference and review over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Mary's story. Mary Abajay is the president and co-founder of CareerStone Group, LLC, a woman-owned full-service organizational and leadership development consultancy that delivers leading-edge talents and organizational development solutions to the public and private sectors. She currently serves on the Regional Market President's Board of BB&T Bank. She was chairman of the board for Leadership Greater Washington, where she led the Adult Signature Program the Youth Leadership Program, and the Rising Leaders Program. Here is Mary. Mary, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I am very excited to be on this podcast and to meet you and hopefully have a little bit of fun today.
0: Oh, yes. Well, I certainly think we will. And speaking of fun... I understand you uh, co-founded and co-own a fun spot in (laughs) D.C. What's the Toledo Lounge all about?
1: Oh, digging up my past, are you, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, it's my claim to fame. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I started, my sister and I uh, opened a bar, I want to say it was in the 90s. That shows you how old I am. And it was called the Toledo Lounge because it was, uh, our hometown was Toledo, Ohio. And we were in Washington, D.C. And we thought D.C. was a little too self-important. So Mm -hmm. we're going to like, We're going to open up a little dive bar, and our little dive bar turned into this huge raging success, um, packed every night, and we ran it for like 13 years, um, but I only worked at it for a couple of years. But the best part about it was that uh, a lot of the people that came back then in the 90s, uh, the mid to late 90s, are now very famous people that you see on TV all the time. Um, And I knew them when uh, they were just young, drunk people.
0: That's great. (laughs) And so what's the status of the Toledo Lounge today?
1: We sold it a couple of years ago. So I worked at it for a couple of years and it's really, really boring, let me tell you, to own a bar. But we uh, kept it running. We had uh, my husband's brother ran it for like 10 or 12 years and then we sold it and the people that bought it tried to keep it as the Toledo Lounge, but everybody knew without the sisters there, it, it wasn't very good. So it, they didn't do well and they had to close it. Oh. Uh, but I will tell you, one of the reasons I opened the bar uh, was because I was really tired of having really bad bosses and I thought, you know what, I can be my own bad boss. So actually looking back, it was a, it was a, kind of a pivotal moment in my life in terms of what I went on to do afterwards.
0: Well, that's cool. Yes. Uh, tell us, orienting quickly a bit, what is it you're doing now afterwards in the world of professional development?
1: Yeah. So what we do, I own a little company. Uh, I have about five people on my team and we do organizational development and professional development training. So I like to say we do one of two things. We're either helping organizations create to create environments where people can be really successful, uh, can be engaged, can do great work, or we are helping the people uh, be able to be great workers and bring their full self and be really successful in the work life. So we help people play well together and we help people play well.
0: Okay, excellent. And so along those lines, you've got this book, Managing Up, an important topic. What is it all about? Why is it important now?
1: So I think it's very important now for a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, it's important because managing up is an essential skill for your career, right? You have one career and it's up to you to manage it. And part of what's going to help your career is your boss. Like Your boss actually matters. Your boss has a lot of influence over your career trajectory, a lot of influence over the kind of opportunities that come your way. So it's really incumbent on you to really develop that relationship, right? And it's about what you can do. And the other reason I think it's important now is I think we've gone really far to the uh, employee engagement side, which is a great thing. I'm all about that. And I think that we have lost, or some of us uh, have lost sort of the the understanding that we have to bring our best selves to work as well, and that we can't really wait or expect our leaders and our managers and our organizations to do everything for us. We're partners in that. And so managing up, I think, is important, especially as the demographics of the workplace change, to remind people that, hey, it's not all on the organization to do everything for you. uh, You have to bring some stuff as well.
0: Okay. Well, and so then I think for some who have never managed up, that maybe require a little bit of a paradigm shift. Like, what? Yeah. Is that even appropriate? So maybe you could start there in terms of what is the appropriate way in terms of broad mindset and perspective to think about the extent to which we should be managing our bosses and how that works?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it does require a paradigm shift for many people. Uh, So the first thing you want to think about is, Who is your boss and what are you willing to do to adapt to your boss? And when we talk about managing up, I want to say a lot of people uh, have a misconception about it. They think it's about brown nosing or manipulating or sucking up or, you know, or being a bootlicker or anything like that. And it's really not that at all. In fact, if you are doing that, you actually aren't managing up. You're just being a manipulative, uh, you know, brown noser. What managing up is, it's about building consciously and deliberately a robust relationship with people who are higher in the food chain with you. And these are people that have different perspectives, uh, probably different priorities. They may have different work styles. So it's about looking at how your boss likes to work, how you like to work. And if there's assessing that gap and then taking adaptive strategies to really work well with your boss. And, And the thing is, it's actually, Pete, it's actually about being a really good follower. And in America, we hate the word, the F word, right? We hate Mm. the follower word because we love leaders in America, right? Leaders, we teach it, we preach it. It's a $14 billion with a B industry. But with all those leaders, who's doing the work, right? Who's following? So it's about really understanding how you can close that gap in power and structure to build that relationship. It's about becoming an empowered follower by being adaptive.
0: Okay, understood. And so then it sounds like you're suggesting that in many ways, it's just about getting the clear understanding of how you work, how boss works Mm -hmm. and how that can work well together. So could you maybe give us a bit of an example in terms of, hey, here's something that could be causing a bit of friction and the optimal way to address it?
1: really i mean it goes from things as simple as understanding what's important to your boss okay so for me and uh we have a consulting company so for me clients are important we live and die by our clients we love our clients like I'll do anything for a client within reason and with that's legal, right? That would be helpful. Uh And one of the things that's important to me is that they know that we're there for them. So I really expect uh, my team to, if a client emails us, to get back to them pretty quickly. You don't have to have their answer, but you have to acknowledge that their email or their communication. So if you know that's important to me, then you need to do that. And so, for example, it's also important for me as a boss that I know that you got my email and you better say you got it instead of just waiting for weeks and then later say, oh yeah, I got it. So it's those little things like that, like knowing those preferences and what matters and adapting to them. And It could be that to like really big things like what are the priorities that your boss wants to accomplish? Where are their goals? And how are you uh, aligning your work to achieve their goals? It's really important. That we don't sit around and wait for the boss that we wish we had. Instead, we have to deal with the boss that we do have. And while bosses should adapt to you, like a great boss should adapt to you. If you are you know, a morning person, they should be a morning person as well. Uh, the truth is only 30% of bosses adapt to their employees. So you might be waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. We often say, stop waiting for the unicorn and deal with the boss you have. And the other thing that's really important is we have to understand that most organizations, as I'm sure your listeners know, most organizations promote people based on their technical skills and not their managerial skills. So your chances of getting a boss who's not perfect are pretty high in the workplace. So instead of sitting around and waiting for that boss to be perfect, you want to use adaptive skills and use adaptive strategies because, by the way, you're going to need those when you're the boss if you want to be a great boss.
0: Okay. Well, in a way, it seems like these conversations associated with managing up are nothing to be feared. In fact, your boss will probably feel delighted. You know, like what a breath of fresh air that you're proactively asking me things like, hey, what are your priorities? What are your goals? What are your preferences? And so are there any sort of best practice ways to elicit that information or you just ask the question?
1: You just go in, and you know you're right about being a breath of fresh air, so we've been doing managing up workshops uh for about ten years and talking with leaders of all sorts and regular people, everybody, and I can literally pete. Count on one hand the number of leaders or managers that have told me that one of their employees had that conversation with them. On one hand, and I've probably talked about this subject to literally five, six thousand people. Um, So yeah, it's something people don't do, and it's so easy to do. So that's my first takeaway, listeners: is if you don't know what your boss's priorities are, or you think you do, even sit down, have a conversation, go for a cup of coffee, find out what's important to her, find out what he likes, find out what. Her pet peeves are. It's really important to find out and take that in, and then see what you can do to either honor those priorities or avoid those pet peeves.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, so that's interesting. So I guess, mathematically speaking, you actually asked the question. Hey, raise your hand if this has ever happened to you in your career, and you just don't get many hands raised. Yeah, that's exactly
1: right. And I, when we were doing the book. I interviewed uh, hundreds of people just for the book. And all the people I interviewed that were leaders or managers, I asked them, Has an employee ever sat down with you and asked you about your workplace preferences or your style? And again, like nobody said yes. Like two people said yes. Wow. It's crazy.
0: Well, that is striking because I figured, you know, it'd be the minority, right? But to be in the ballpark of under 1% is crazy. Striking. Yeah. And so, oh, wow, what a takeaway right there in terms of it don't take much (laughs) to really stand out and be supremely impressive. Uh, (laughs) I
1: know, because the truth is to be awesome at your job, you have to be awesome at your job and to get right. But as you know, like the world isn't a meritocracy, right? So you also have to be awesome at that relationship. And that's one way to be awesome at at that relationship. Um, And what gets in the way, I think for people managing up. So whenever, you know, we do a workshop or I give a talk on it, um, there's always a couple people that are like, you know, I object, this is stupid. And what happens is that we get in our own way. So one thing that gets in our own way is our ego gets in the own way and we get caught in this trap of like, well, you know, my boss should give me more information or my boss should know what I'm working on or my boss should be more proactive in reaching out to me, right? Shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? If your boss isn't, then you have to be the one that adapts and goes to ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. Another thing that gets in the way, you know, we feel like, It takes extra effort. Like when we talk about a micromanager, like, yes, managing up is going to create extra work on your plate, but it's extra work that's going to be good for you, your boss and the organization. So that gets in the way. And then the last thing that gets in the way besides our own ego and our own sort of like uh, desire not to have to do it is perspective. Um, And so what you talked about in the beginning, having the right paradigm in the mind frame, is we have to start being able to look at things from other people's perspective. And your boss has a different perspective. They have a different skill set, probably, definitely a different experience. They sit in a different place in the organization. They probably have different pressures. And so once we can get out of just our own narrow perspective, which may or may not be right, and we can actually do a little empathy, a little like, huh, I wonder what the world looks like from Pete's angle. That really uh, really expands our choices and what kind of strategies we can use for our boss.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that is good stuff in terms of what uh, opportunity for differentiation. And with regard to taking the time, my hunch is that you may find yourself having saved time because by getting a really clear sense of the goals and priorities, you can go, oh, so this other stuff doesn't really matter that much. (laughs) So I could maybe just put that on the bottom of my list and not worry about it and nothing explosively bad will happen to me as a result. (laughs)
1: that's exactly right. And oftentimes, you know, what you think is important and what your boss thinks are important may be really different. So you're absolutely right. It can save you time by understanding what they care about and what you can kind of let go of and not spinning your wheels on things that they don't really care about.
0: Okay. That is powerful. Well, so I guess when I think about managing up, I guess the first thing that my brain goes to is, all right, Boss is doing something annoying, troublesome, unprofessional, rude. Yeah. That is driving you nuts in one way or another, you know, and you got to have that tricky conversation with a conflict, but then there's a power dynamic in which you are Mm -hmm. on the lower. So that's the first thing I think of when I hear managing up. I go right to the most dramatic, unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) So Worst case scenario. (laughs) I'm glad we started easy. Like, hey, do that thing, be a 1% professional and have that conversation. But then when things get into the tricky territory, like I'm thinking, let's say, here's just an example. There's a total lack of clarity associated with decision-making roles associated Mm -hmm. with a group collaborative project. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: you say, Hey, hey boss, you know, this is kind of driving us all nuts. We don't know who's in charge. And, and you just say, Hey, just collaborate. And it's like, and we said, I need to know who's got the decision-making authority in, in what kinds of areas, but the boss isn't giving it. This is a super detailed example, but I'm just saying, I think that this does happen in which you want something from the boss. You've asked for something for the boss. The boss gives you sort of a an answer that's not really satisfactory or sufficient. How do you get what you need?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it's... There's a couple of things in that example. Uh, First of all, you have to frame requests correctly. Okay, so, and you did a nice job on that. So you want to go to the boss and what you don't want to say is you need to do this because that doesn't fly very well. Uh, So you want to go to say, hey boss, so we need your help or I need your help. If it's you or the team, make sure you're speaking. Uh, we're unclear about uh, who is responsible for buying the apples for the company picnic. And we're also not sure on the budget or if we have the authority to actually go buy the apples. Can you clarify that for us?
0: You know, Mary, just figure this out. I can't be in the weeds on all of this stuff with you, Mary. Oh, got it. All right. So here's, (laughs) that's perfect. So
1: here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy the apples. I'm going to spend $50. I'm putting them on your credit card. Is that acceptable? So when they say (laughs) that, then you come right back and you say, well, here's my plan. Does this work for you? I mean, in some ways, if your boss isn't giving you information because they're kind of like, I'm too big of a picture. Go figure it out, which, by the way, is the kind of boss I am, then you need to come back with that boss and say, here's what we're doing. I'm going to be in charge of this or George is going to be in charge of this. So it depends on what kind of boss you have. If it's that kind of boss who wants you to figure it out, then you need to go figure it out, but tell that person what you did. If your boss is just hard to pin down, then you need to go and say, here's what I need and here's why I need it.
0: Okay. Understood.
1: So you got to be a boss detective. You got to know who you're dealing with when you go have those conversations. Like it drives me crazy. So I'm definitely a hands-off boss until I'm not. Um, so I want them to go figure it out. And I want them to come back to me with options. Like I don't want to have to hold, hold their hand. So, But they know about that about me because I tell them every day that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you have to know who your boss is.
0: Okay, I'm with you there. So now you've done a little bit of categorizations associated with bosses and types. You had any boss and Audi boss some work style personalities. Can you give us the quick orientation to these concepts to see sort of who we're dealing with here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you can't label your boss, who can you label anymore in this oh, world, right? <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so we cover some different, we take a managing up from the perspective of personality and work styles because that's really what you see. And so what we did, uh, what we did, what I did, is really broke people down to uh, a couple different personality types. And then we went and took after that, then we went and talked about 10 difficult boss types. So the main personality types are introversion or extroversion. So you, that's very helpful to know that then we went and talked about four work styles and one work style was what we call the advancer and the advancer is the person that's um, i'm an advancer for example fast paced um, task oriented wants to get a lot of stuff done quickly doesn't really want a lot of, you know, soft, huggy, muggy relationship building. I love my people, but I don't want to talk to them all the time about it. And just really focuses on tasks and getting things done. Wants to make decisions quickly, very pragmatic, move the ball forward all the time. Then another boss type is also very fast-paced. We call this boss the influencer um, or the enthusiast. And this boss is about high energy, moving things forward, uh, but moving with people, so they're kind of a cheerleader, like the inspirational person, loves to take risks, loves to innovate, loves to do different things, and wants it done with people along their side. So fast-paced and people-oriented. mm mm-hmm. Then, the third type that we talk about uh these are the people that are we call them the evaluators, so they slow it down, you know they're the efficient perfectionists uh they're task oriented so not warm and fuzzy, but not cold. They love the details, they want things done right they're like the measure twice then measure twice again, and then cut once. Uh, we call these the evaluators, different energy. And what they care about is getting things right every single time. And then the last boss that we talk about is people-oriented. They are people-oriented and they are also moderate-paced. So they want to uh, kind of slow things down. They care about the people. These are the people that want to um, build team. They want to uh, make sure everybody's happy. They don't want to make anybody unhappy. Uh, They want to get things right and they want everyone to be secure. And this boss we call the harmonizer.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Understood. And so then once I know that, I imagine you're saying, go ahead and give them what they want.
1: Yeah. So for example, if your boss is an advancer like me and they're fast paced and they want to get stuff done and they don't want to be uh, huggy muggy and they don't want a lot of chit chat, they want decisions made, then you want to really pay attention to that personality and do things that work best for them. For example, if your boss is always impatient and in a hurry and just wants stuff done, when you go into their office, don't sit down, flop on a chair and then just chit chat for 15 minutes. They'll want to punch you in the face. You want to be able to like go in, be brief, be business-like and be gone. So you want to pay attention to the different personalities and work styles so you know what works for these bosses. For example, if you have an energizer boss, one of the qualities of this boss is they're optimistic, they're enthusiastic, and they're going to come in and they're going to be like, "Wow, let's do like this new idea. Let's put an office on the moon. And you're going to be tempted to be like, that's dumb and be a wet blanket. And so you can't do that with that boss. You have to say, oh, that's an interesting idea. And we may have some challenges. So you want to know that you're working with them and not against them in a way. So you want to find out what your boss is and and adapt strategies that are going to work for that boss that doesn't push them away from you.
0: Okay, very good. Well, then now I want to hear about, there's some things that are just bad behavior, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter what your work style is, things that could be disrespectful, just mean. (laughs) And so how do you handle those tricky ones? When
1: you're the the mean person or when your boss has the bad behavior?
0: The boss is mean. The boss seems to just have little regard for you and others as human beings and, you know, steals credit, Mm -hmm. publicly shames, just like all the naughty things the boss does. So...
1: When you have a boss that does it, you want to think about the spectrum of behavior. So on the one end, you have the good bosses that are easy that might do that once in a while or, or occasionally like be snippy. Then you have those bosses in the middle that might do this behavior frequently. Like we call those the difficult bosses, like the the narcissist, the impulsive, the pushovers. We have some difficult bosses. But then you have on the other end of the spectrum, I put it in like the red, like danger, danger, Will Robinson. We have what we call the truly terrible. And the These are the psychos, the crazies, the bullies, the people that are screaming at you, the egomaniacs. Now, they're a whole nother category of bosses. And with those bosses, it's not so much about managing up as it's about surviving. And I talk about, I always caution people, like, it's okay to quit. I think you want to talk about that later. But, you know, if you have truly psycho behavior on your hands or behavior that is just, just not acceptable, then you don't have a lot of choices. You can't do much managing up. Uh, you have to choose protect yourself. But if the boss is kind of snippy, well, maybe you need to look at, are they really snippy or are you just taking it the wrong way? So you have to kind of assess the behavior.
0: Okay. Understood. And so then... Can you help us make that distinction between yep. what's kind of tricky? Okay, they're sort of snippy every once in a while. They are in a mood versus, you know, truly terrible. I think it might be eye opening for some. Yeah. In terms of if you can just sort of lay it out in terms of these are behaviors or examples that tend to be almost unworkable and thus it's time to explore the exit.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I don't know if you've ever read any Eckhart Tolle. I love his stuff. You know, he said uh, that human beings have, uh, he wrote The Power of Now, human beings have three choices when they're faced with a difficult situation. Choice number one is you can change the situation, choice number two is you can adapt and accept the situation. Or choice number three is you can leave the situation. And so when you're talking about someone who's truly terrible, you know, a screaming, raging bully, then there's not much you can do to change other people. There's nothing you can do to change other people. And in terms of your choices about going to HR, for example, those are pretty risky as we're seeing now with the Me Too. And it gets even riskier Uh, the smaller kind of business you work in. So maybe if you work for a really large company with a robust HR department, it might have some traction. Uh, Going to your boss's boss is also a little risky. Your boss's boss probably hired that person. And they may not uh, be as supportive as you want. So the next choice is to accept and adapt it, right? And when the behavior is so bad, like if they are screaming at you on a daily basis, when you are feeling demeaned, when you are feeling sick, when you are physically and emotionally strung out, when you are planning your day more about how to survive than how to thrive, it may be time for you to take that third option, which is to leave. And this is a very difficult choice for many people, but quitting is always an option. And quitting is an option more people I do think need to consider. I mean, look, you spend most of your waking hours, most of us spend at work. And those should be good waking hours. And those should be hours where you're alive and you're doing great stuff and you're feeling great and you're contributing to something. And if you have a boss that's truly terrible, that's irredeemable, then we really do, you need to leave because you, you will become sick. I mean, there are studies after studies that have shown how toxic bosses make people physically and mentally sick. You need to get out
0: if you have one of those. Okay, thank you. Now you use the word irredeemable and yeah. I would love to to get your take on if you do need to have the tough conversation like hey, you know, every other week or so the boss says something that's just super hurtful. Terrible? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just terrible. So I guess there are some things that could be in the blind spot of the boss mm-hmm. or It's hard to know. It's like, yeah, I know I do it. I don't care versus, oh, I had no idea I was being interpreted that way. Yeah. So how do you dance in that world of providing feedback in the hopes that a boss will change a behavior?
1: So it depends on the relationship you have with your boss and it depends on your boss. Like, can you imagine... Let's take Donald Trump for example. Um, there are certain people that can give him feedback, and there's certain people that can't give him feedback. Right from what we read in the news, and he's a pretty powerful boss. He's the president of the United States, so it's about your relationship. If you have the kind of relationship that you can give feedback, then you want to do it. You want to do it privately. You want to have that conversation. You want to make it so that you are showing your intention is to make them successful, and your intention is to also uh, let them know that you're on their side and you're gonna you're have a request of a different behavior. But let me also caution that if the boss is truly terrible, they may not take that feedback well. If you really believe that it's a blind spot and they don't know, that's good. But if they're truly a bully or a true really heavy narcissist, that conversation may backfire on you. Mm -hmm. So you want to be really careful. And also you want to look at, are you the only one being targeted or is it everybody? So that conversation is very difficult, and that's a case-by-case uh, situation. And if you do have that conversation, uh, be prepared for it not to go well and role-play it first. Okay. Because the truth is, um, a lot of people might just say what you did. They might just say, yeah, I'm a screamer. I don't care. So now the choice is clear for you. You can either stay there and deal with the screaming, right, uh, and kind of put on your golden work shield every day so it doesn't impact you, or you can choose to leave. And the other thing you have to do is assess, is it worth it? So... I know a lot of people would say I would never work for someone who screams or belittles me or embarrasses me in front of people or is a narcissist. Well, then a lot of people would never have worked for Steve Jobs, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's pretty much how they describe him. So only you can decide what you're willing to put up with and what is worth it to you. Uh, But what I don't want people to do is think that they don't have choice. Really, at the end of the day, I want people to be in choice. You get to choose what adaptive strategies you use for Your boss, and you get to choose um, how you want to be treated.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. Thank you. Now, toward the end of the book, you've got 50 tips for managing your manager. Can you share a couple of those that have been just supremely resonant with folks and helpful? (laughs)
1: Well, the first tip is really learn what your boss wants and adapt to it, right? It's not about if you're waiting for yourself to adapt. If you're waiting for your boss to adapt to you, you might be waiting for a very long time. So you want to really find out what's important to him or her and see what you can adapt. You want to bring solutions, not problems. Uh, And depending on what kind of boss you have will depend on what kind of solutions you'll have. So for example, If you have an advancer or you have an extrovert, then you're going to bring a couple of solutions. So one thing that people tend to do in the workplace is they tend to complain. But inside every kind of complaint is a request. So don't bring a problem without a solution and don't bring a complaint without a request. I mean, these are just classic and they're classic because they work. The other thing is respecting your boss's time. Uh, When you walk into her or his office, you want to be clear and prepared about what you need. Because in addition to managing you, and others, your boss most likely has her own tasks to accomplish. So know what you need from your boss and then get out.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Make sure you align your priorities. You know, oftentimes we get stuck in our own priorities and we're not shifting for our bosses. Being proactive is huge, and that means really, God, I you know, I love it, when my staff is proactive. I love it when they look at my calendar and like, oh, you know, Mary's doing a podcast. Uh, let's get on top of things that she might need for that before she asks us for that. So being proactive is always the way it's going to make you stand out.
0: Okay, thank you Well, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
1: I would like to talk a little bit about, uh, give one specific strategy about what I see is the boss that most people hate the most. Oh, let's do it. All right, so the micromanager is the one that comes up all the time about the one that drives people crazy. Uh, the micromanager is the boss that's always over your shoulder, that uh, is always telling you what to do, doesn't give you an authority, and is you know, just on you all the time. And most people find this really frustrating because we like to have some autonomy at work, right? We like, to, we like to be able to stretch our own creative muscles and we like to be able to make our own decisions. And so the micromanager, while it's probably the most annoying to the most people, is also the easiest one to Manage up to okay. And you want me to tell you how you do it? Please do. Yeah, right. it's so obvious, Pete. What would you think you would do if you ever had a micromanager? Yes. And how did you handle it? What did you do?
0: I think I just continually tried to anticipate what they were going to ask and need, and then just like overdid everything
1: dude, you got it. You could have co- wrote the book. And that's so easy. But most people get into this like, I'm, I'm resisting this. Like, I don't want to do this. It's unfair. But you need to flood them with information before they ask. You need to anticipate this behavior. You're not going to change them right away. It either is based on their lack of trust of you or they just need to know. So stop resisting it and just give them the information before they ask. Give them as much as you can, whenever you can, and find out what's important to them. And a lot of times, you Will gain their trust once they see that and do things their way. If they like the Oxford comma, use the Oxford comma. But it's really about being forthright, proactive, and giving them information before they ask.
0: You know, one group that does a really great job of asking for your communication preferences is Abbey Connect. Abby Connect is the leading live receptionist service which helps businesses screen, qualify, and convert incoming calls. 80% of incoming callers who hit an answering machine message. End up hanging up and those lost calls mean lost opportunities. Yet if you take every one of those calls, well, you'll never find that time to have the chat with your manager about their preferences. Now, just imagine if you had your very own personal dedicated receptionist, like just for you personally and your phone and not the whole organization. Well, that is in fact quite possible with Abbey Connect. When I was getting set up with them, they asked me exactly how I wanted my phone answered how I wanted my messages delivered, and I personally chose the email and text message transcription choice, and what elements they should really emphasize in their exchanges with callers. Abbey Connect is offering our listeners right now a zero-obligation free trial. You can sign up today to make those missed opportunities missed no more. After the trial ends, we also get $95 off the first bill, but only if you sign up with the link, which is abbyconnectcom slash awesome. That's A-B-B-Y-C-O-N-N-E-C-T dot com slash awesome. And I really appreciate you visiting abbyconnect.com slash awesome because when you support our sponsors, you support my family, which means that I get to keep taking this time to keep making the show. So now let's hear a few of Mary's favorite things. Okay, got it. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, well, now could you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring?
1: So I think, and I'm not going to get it exactly right. Uh, I tried to find it before this, uh, but it's from Cher. (laughs) It was something that I read years ago when I was younger, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And she said, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I just kept not doing the things I didn't want to do, and pretty soon I was doing the things that I wanted to do and I really like that because I think your career is a journey and it's a marathon and I think there's a lot of pressure to know exactly what you want to do especially when you get out of school so for those of us who took us a little while to figure out what you do, just keep trying different things All
0: right, great and how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research uh,
1: well you know i'm really into lately i'm really into like the neuroscience of emotions and interactions. So there's some great work being done by people like David Rock that's really, they're pinpointing like what parts of your brain light up with different emotions and what human beings need. So it's actually giving the hard science to what people call the soft skills and the soft science. So I'm really into that lately.
0: Oh, cool. And how about a favorite book? Uh,
1: well, you know I'm an English major, so this is like choosing a favorite child. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to go fiction being an old English major. And my favorite book, I uh, would have to say, is a book called Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. And I like this book because it's a story of a, a woman and most of us would be like, oh my God, how horrible, terrible things have happened to her. But at the end of the book, she is blessed and thankful for everything that her life brought to her. And I just really like that sort of embracing what life is and never letting yourself be a victim.
0: Well, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job?
1: Uh, all right. So I couldn't do my job without Google. Like let's just give old fashioned Google a big shout out. Um, and I think uh, I'm really in lately to uh, something called the Pomodoro Method. I'm kind of old school here, uh, which is this 25 minute productivity tool where it forces you to work for 25 minutes straight without answering email. And I'm loving that. And then of course, I don't know what I would do without my Starbucks pre-order app because I hate waiting in lines.
0: <laughs> okay. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, something that helps you flourish?
1: I take a walk. I try to... Well, I'm a 10,000 step girl, right? So I try to get my 10,000 steps in every single day. In fact, when I'm done with this podcast, even though it's raining, I got 1,300 more steps to get in today. But I really find walking for about 45 minutes to an hour every day is something that
0: really keeps me sane. Hmm, cool. And is there a particular nugget or piece that you share that seems to get quoted back to you frequently?
1: Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, but I'm thinking lately. People always say that I say, just do it, just do it. Like, don't complain, just do it. Make it work, uh, figure it out and take control of your life.
0: All right. And Mary, if folks wanna learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
1: Okay, they wanna learn more about me, they can either uh, go to Twitter at Mary Abajay. They can go to my website, either careerstonegroup.com or Managing Up the Book. But if you wanna get in touch with me, I'm kind of old school and I do like the email. It kind of runs my life. So if you need to want to talk to me, you can email me, Mary at group.com.
0: Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you to issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I do. Um, it's kind
1: of a twofold. One is adapt. It's really important to be awesome at your job, to always be willing to adapt, to be able to accept change, to be able to look around, be strategic and adapt to what is as we know from uh, biology, uh, that in evolution, that people who adapt, um, people who can be flexible are the people that are going to be around for the long haul. And the second one, which I feel very strongly about, is take responsibility. And I mean this in two ways. I think people need to take responsibility for gaining the skills that they need to be awesome at their job. They need to take responsibility that they're always developing their career and their skills and responsibility for driving their career. And we all need to take responsibility for our impact in the world and our impact in other people. It's about understanding, uh, uh, separating your intention from your impact and to be able to be someone that impacts in a positive way, which I like to say, uh, leaves a positive wake after every encounter with people so that people feel great about you, about the encounter, but mostly so people feel great about themselves.
0: Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Well, Mary, thank you so much for taking this time and writing this book. I think it's going to be transformative for a lot of folks in terms of relationships improved, fast tracks joined, and some bosses left. So everybody wins, uh, no matter which way it goes. So much appreciated, and please keep up the great work.
1: Thank you, and Pete, you are a doll face. It was so much fun to be on your show. Thank you again for having me, and I wish you the best.
0: I really love how Mary highlighted that conversation to have. It's like, hey, you know, what are your preferences with regard to these things? And how just about nobody does it. And I brought this up in a workshop today because it naturally occurred. I was leading this session and someone said, oh, yeah, I should probably do that. But I don't want to because it feels robotic. Like, how may I assist you optimally? And I guess it might strike some as robotic. But if you have that same resistance point, I just want to offer you some encouragement. You can do it real as a human, not a robot, you know, at their service and just say, Hey, you know, I was just curious. We never really did discuss, do you like it when I do this or that? Or would you prefer we do this? Hey, and while we're at it, you know, what about this? You know, I think you can just make it very real and natural human. And so, yeah, if that's an objection for others, I'd recommend just giving it a shot and making it your own, making it real, your style so that the conversation gets had and gets had, you know, in a real sort of a way. So thought I'd hit that there. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at com slash F275. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Alex Grodnick from Wall Street Oasis. And he's going to share a bit about persistence, how to not take no for an answer in the business world. Hope to catch you there. Peace.